You're listening to Wild and Holy Radio. Honest conversations, love notes, and strategies to grow a business while building a life grounded in deep integrity. I'm Megan Hale, integrity expert, bringing mindset and energetic wisdom to help you show up braver, go all in, and expand into your fullest expression. Let's do this. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Wild and Holy Radio, the place to be for mindset and energetic wisdom for growing a business while building a life grounded in deep integrity. I'm your host, Megan Hale, and if you are new around here, welcome. This podcast blends the inner knowing with the outer action to be the leader our dreams need us to be. Now, most of the time, these episodes are not sequential. You can pick one at random and away we'll go. Today, however, is a little bit different because we'll be going deeper into a piece I brought up in our last episode, how and why to put money first in your business. So if you haven't tuned into that episode yet, I'd recommend giving that one a listen before diving in here. Now, I'm recording this on a Tuesday, which means my children are here with me with a babysitter. So um, in this new evolution of self, we're just rolling with it. So if you hear some baby cries in the background, they're not unsupervised. <laughs> so what we're working up to in today's episode are the four core money beliefs to stress less and live more and the five foundational self beliefs that support them. But before we go there, we need to start here because there were a few key shifts that took place before I was able to truly shift into something different around money. And like most things, you guys, change doesn't come in one big moment. It comes in a million of them. And the ones I'm going to be sharing today have been so incredibly crucial. So friends, I don't know if you've been on iTunes lately but reviews have been rolling in for season two. And I am so grateful for you all taking the time to leave me your thoughts and stars. Just last week, we had both Angela and Rachel leave some kind words that I wanted to share on the show because they totally sum me up to a T plus all the goodness that we're diving into this season. So first of all, Angela's review is titled woo in all the right places. I mean, you guys, like, can we just take a moment and just nod along here? I think this has to be one of the best compliments I have ever received. It really is my goal to blend the practical and spiritual, to really talk about the inner work, but do it in a grounded way. So Angela, thank you. And I especially love the part where you said, this podcast can to talk about spirituality, energy, vibrations can maybe feel a bit woo to some, but I'm so here for it. Girl, I am so here for it too. And I am so glad that you are tuning in. Thank you so incredibly much. And Rachel, I love how you said that I blend the practical with the deep reflective heart work because that is so my goal. And nothing makes me happier to know I'm speaking straight to your heart over there. So I'm going to keep on speaking. I am so glad that you are here listening to the podcast. So friends, if you have a moment after today's episode, I would so appreciate you leaving some words and stars to help others find the show. Like Angela said, I know this show takes a unique approach to business than other podcasts. And I also know there are other people out there who so need to be here with us. Your words are that helpful in helping other people find the show. And a huge thank you in advance. So now into our episode for the day. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a little secret. <laughs> 
I may be the only person who actually listens to her own podcast. I know. <laughs> but there have been many times I go back to a prior episode when I know I've shared something powerful because it's, it's like the exact wisdom that I need to hear in the moment. For instance, like first the grief, then the surrender. I've listened to that one a couple of times. <laughs> um, how to stay grounded during stressful times, that one too. Because it comes as no surprise that this past year has been full of surrender and stressful times, right? This season though, I'm listening back to these episodes, not so much for the wisdom because all of that feels really fresh, but because it's really cathartic for me to hear my own story in my own voice and to really see it for what it's been. And although not every episode carries with it stories from 2018, I'm sure the love notes certainly will. I've really been re-listening, making sure that I'm not missing any big pieces here um, because we're diving into a very multi-layered topic, which is money. And today's episode was actually supposed to be the four core money beliefs we all need to stress less and live more. But I realized that I couldn't go all the way there until I shared three big life experiences that really laid the foundation for these beliefs to begin with. So today we are diving into three big life events that were turning points for me because as with all beliefs, we never just arrive to something new in a single moment, but rather evolve our way there through many. And money, friends, <laughs> is definitely no different. When it comes to shifting your money beliefs, I know that these can feel particularly sticky. For one, we all have our own transgenerational stories that we hold about money, plus what we were modeled growing up, right? Those things alone can feel like a lot of layers to move through. When we add on religion, gender gaps, systems of oppression, like we're moving through even more. Okay. And the reason I bring this up is because when we're trying to shift into something new, we need to realize that things aren't going to change in a single moment, but rather hundreds and often over a long period of time. So I've been actively working on my money story for five years now, but as I was listening back <laughs> to our last episode, I realized that my money story has been working on me for a lot longer. So I want to go back to that moment I shared in our last episode where I was standing in St. Patrick's Cathedral because although a lot of things started to break loose between me and my understanding of God that day, some pretty powerful things started to shift loose between me and money too. So keep in mind, I was 23 at the time, okay? I was in the middle of a very messy season where I felt completely broken and also deeply exhausted trying to make myself good enough for my idea of church, okay? And as I stood in that gorgeous cathedral, all the judgment that I had felt for years really started seeping out. So last episode, I talked about the disgust I felt seeing all that wealth around me. And it was really this sickening feeling that came over me just seeing this amount of gold and jewels adorning the walls and chalices, thrones and scepters. Like in my mind, the amount of wealth could be doing so much more good in the world. And it really did feel like it was in direct opposition of what I thought Jesus stood for. And I felt bitter. I felt resentful. But more than that, when we feel bitter and we feel resentful, what do we tend to do? 
<laughs> we tend to project that shit outward onto somebody else, right? And I felt quick to point the finger that day for how wrong it was for this church to hold so much wealth, okay? I wasn't quite yet aware that this was pointing me to something deeper. That as I sat there judging how this church was using its wealth and what was good and what was right, that this was really coming from a place of being deeply afraid that others would judge me for how I used mine. Okay. I was still too young to realize that the judgments we hold often point us to fears that we're carrying for ourselves. Right. So on one hand, I desired wealth for the ease I knew it would provide and also for the vehicle I knew it could be to make a positive difference in the world. But on the other, this was something I wasn't supposed to want. So wanting it was bad enough, but having it, how would that open me up to all kinds of judgment? Would others think I was better than them? Vain, superficial. Would they approve of how I spent my money? Would I ever reach their expectations for doing enough good with it? Was money indeed evil after all? Okay, these fears would take me a few years to arrive to. But the judgment I gave that day was a huge indication of some of my own fears. Okay, and the reason I bring that up is because I think that these are some things for you to think about. Like, where are your judgments pointing you? Like, do you worry about acquiring wealth and having others judge you for how you spend it? Do you worry if you'll be seen differently if you become wealthy? Do you worry about leaving other people behind? Will it create conflict in your relationships? Will it ask you to set firmer boundaries, to be more assertive, more discerning? Will it change you into someone that you aren't, right? And if any of these fears are present, how do you think they're self-sabotaging you from pursuing more money? Okay, so that's the first little bit. The second thing I want to share is this, and it's a good one. So the contradiction I felt that day standing in that, that cathedral wasn't just between the wealth I was witnessing in that church and how I thought it should be being used in the world, okay? It was that this church, in all its beauty and gold, marble and jewels, was a living representation of something I was taught wasn't supposed to exist. That apparently wealth and holiness could not only coexist within the same structure, but that it could be praised, supported even. And in fact, the more wealthy and holy it became, it also became a stronger well for others that could feed them both spiritually and financially. Okay? So that's one piece. Except in this moment, <laughs> it seemed that the only way that wealth and holiness were allowed to coexist was if you were a church. That apparently it was okay to be both wealthy and holy if you followed all the right rules and had the blessing of someone with authority, but that this same permission wasn't also available 
to me. Because I was neither a priest or congregation. I didn't have any high authority, nor did I have the blessing of someone in authority either. Okay? Why not me too? You hear this question coming up? Well, friends, <laughs> I hope you can see where this is going because my idea of church has evolved quite a bit since then. And what has been revealed to me on my spiritual path is that there is no other authority outside of ourselves that gives us permission to be holy. That is something between us and the divine. Nor is there only a narrow definition of what a church is and isn't. That in fact, in my personal belief system, we are all our own church, our own temple, our own holy ground. Which means if wealth and holiness can exist, coexist in a physical church, then they can coexist within us too. Wealthy and holy. But let's go one level deeper because this is where it gets really good. <laughs> so here was this stunning cathedral that a whole group of people had poured their money, time, and energy into because someone had seen something holy there. Maybe it was a priest. Maybe as a group of people who wanted to honor St. Patrick, the story doesn't really matter. What matters here is what one person had chosen to hold as sacred had brought others who acknowledged its sacredness too. And this act of faith and also proclamation had brought with it wealth in the form of support, right? Through money, time, emotional energy and investment, believing in it. And I think that this is the most important lesson, okay? That if the decision to hold something as sacred brings others who also acknowledge it too, doesn't it also work this way for us? And if having faith and proclaiming it to the world brings wealth in the form of money, time, emotional energy, believing in something, believing in someone. Is this also not true for us too? It would seem then that the more we acknowledge our own sacredness, the more we have faith in our own gifts and talents, and the more we proclaim those to the world, the more wealth we will call in through clients who hire us, people who refer us, people who believe in us and all the other limitless ways that we can be supported. Okay. And it's this lesson friends that has made all the difference that not only can we bo be both wealthy and holy and still be loved, supported and belong. Okay. But also the more holy we hold ourselves, the more wealthy we become. It works both ways, wealthy and holy, holy and wealthy. And I truly believe this is how it's always been intended. Big stuff, right? 
I know, but we aren't done because there are two other life experiences I want to share today that have had a big impact, okay? So for these two, we're not going all the way back to 2006. We're going to just hop back to 2015 when I was in the deep, messy middle of my enoughness work. Now, for those of you who are new to me and new to this show, my enoughness work refers to the time period between March to June in 2015 when I took a big giant step back from my business. I took on no new goals and I did a lot of unraveling, which really means deep inner child work (laughs) on my own personal definitions of what it meant to be enough. Okay. So this time in my life was the scariest thing I've ever done because up until this point, all I'd ever known to base my worthiness off of was how much I was able to achieve, get done and earn. Okay. So taking four months off of pursuing all three of those things, (laughs) of course, brought up a lot of anxiety, but it was working through this discomfort that I learned to divorce myself from the idea that I had to hustle or prove my enoughness. Okay. That I was enough all along. Arriving to this truth though, felt like a street fight in many ways because I was really wrestling with my perception of things or more so the perceptions that my inner child had on how she saw the world. But as it would turn out, wrestling with her wisdom was the thing that set both of us free. So what I'm gonna share today is one piece of that journey. If you're loving all this talk about money and especially about shifting into a more empowered relationship with it, I would love to invite you to check out Wild and Holy Money Love, a four-week transformational course to help you drastically shift the way you feel about money. Whether you want to make more or steward what you're making better, it all starts with more money love. I'm bringing the most powerful exercises that go far beyond just money mindset and affirmations. I'm helping money feel the way you want it to feel, where money shows up for you in abundance and becomes the biggest supporter of your wildest dreams. Join me for four weeks of transformation that won't just help you more deeply love money, but more importantly, help money more deeply love you. This is Wild and Holy Money Love. Find out more at wildandholymoney.com. I'll see you there. Now, back to our episode. So it's 2015. I'm sitting in my therapist's office when he challenges me to not take on any new projects, to basically go silent on social media, which was the only way I was marketing my coaching business at the time, which also felt like a death sentence to my business baby, by the way, and give myself tons and tons of space to simply be. Now, If you happen to have any strong messages around measuring your enoughness based on how productive you are, I want you to imagine for just a moment the level of ask this therapist was making of me. So the to-do list I was used to using to measure myself against, he was basically asking me to to throw the whole damn thing away. (laughs) And not only that, He was asking me to basically just carry on with my private psychotherapy practice that I had at the time and let that money be enough without pursuing more. So not only could I not do more to be enough, I couldn't earn more either, which was a double whammy. Are you, are you with me on this? (laughs) 
So on top of all that, as if that wasn't enough already, he wanted me to do this really weird thing, which was engage in play. Like actually pursuing fun things over like air quote responsible things. And I really wish that you could have seen the look on my face <laughs> when during one of our sessions, he gave me the homework of going and sitting in a ball pit. <laughs> I thought this guy was like utterly ridiculous and maybe even a little insane. Like what kind of value does sitting in a ball pit have? Does he not know all the important things that I need to do? <laughs> well, I'll be honest, I never went and sat in any ball pit, okay? But what I did learn to do was engage and play from my own perspective. And during this time in my life, I went on nature walks. I had no ulterior motives. I wasn't counting my steps. I wasn't looking at calories burned, anything like that. I took myself out to ice cream and just learned to sit and enjoy it and not be rushed. I learned to let what I had built up to that point professionally be enough. And I even learned to find joy in the present without always seeking out more. Huge, huge pieces came from this work. But in order to arrive here, I had to have many heart-to-hearts with little me, who I referred to as little bit, who carried all the earlier messages around what it meant to be enough. And here's where it involves money. So as we're getting into the work around needing to earn to be enough, I had a vivid memory that little bit kept on coming back to. And I was five years old at the time. I had just come home from school to find my mother sitting in the front living room, which is like the fancy room that you're not supposed to sit in, okay? <laughs> and she was crying and she had her head buried in her hands. And I remember instinctively going up to hug her and comfort her and tell her that everything was going to be okay. And in this moment, I somehow intuitively knew that she was crying over money and there never being enough of it. Now, was this true? I have no idea. <laughs> I've even asked my mom if she remembers this moment and she doesn't. But I bring this up because we all have these early imprinted memories in which our little selves made sense of situations with the wisdom they had then. They did the best that they could with the information that they had available to them. And it just so turns out that the wisdom we have when we're little tends to be undeveloped in many ways, right? And it tends to lack the maturity to hold all the vast and multi-layered concepts of adult life. It doesn't mean we should discredit their wisdom by any means, okay? But I just wanna bring this other layer into the context. So back to this moment. In my little mind that day, I decided that if I could make more money, then mama would never be sad, okay? And with the disagreements that I often heard about money between my parents, that really led me to only believing that this was even more true. That if I could make more money, mama would never be sad. More money to me equaled more happiness or at least less tears. 
okay? And this one little moment would end up driving a lot of beliefs for me for the next couple of decades, okay? So as I unraveled layer upon layer of my story with my therapist, I uncovered another piece of me who I referred to as a rebel. Y'all are getting to know all kinds of cool stuff today, right? <laughs> now, rebel is probably my favorite part of me. She is still alive and well, but I also boxed her in for a good many years because I didn't trust her. Rebel was teenage me who was wild and rebellious, but she was also unsure of herself in many ways. She was wise, someone others often sought counsel from, but she was also like a loose cannon. She was highly emotional, highly intuitive. She was also deeply powerful, but she hadn't integrated her power in a constructive way yet. And because of that, she often seemed to self-destruct <laughs> until she would figure out her place in the world, okay? So she has her own journey. We're not really going to talk a whole lot about her today. But Rebel held a lot of ideas around money, too. And she leaned on the wisdom from little me, little bit, that more money equaled less tears. But she was also keenly aware that there was never enough. So one day... As I was sitting in session, my therapist asked me a simple question. And it's, it's always the simplest questions that tend to be the most profound, right? And the question was this. Was there really never enough money? This question stopped me. Was that true? Were there times when there wasn't enough? Yeah. There were. I remember not being able to do certain things that my friends got to do. I remember we had to cancel cable a couple times when things got tight growing up. But I also remember somehow more money seemed to find us. Like somehow, some way, there became enough money again. There might not always be enough of it, but it always seemed to renew. And as I reflected on that, a new money belief came through. Money is always renewable. There may be times when there isn't enough, but it will replenish itself eventually, or at least there is the potential for it to, okay? Which I didn't know at the time, but I can totally see now that this awareness really started to lay the foundation that maybe money wasn't as hard to get as I thought. That there were times it was for sure, right? But not always. And when there's a not always on your hands, that opens up so many other things that could also be true. Okay? All right. So now let's move on to this last experience because this was the thing that really rounded out this new foundation for money for me that we'll start to get into in the next episode. So it's July, 2015 at this point. And I've just had the idea come to me to start a podcast interviewing other people around enoughness. Okay. I feel free and unburdened around a lot of the messages I was carrying to achieve and approve and hustle to be enough. I was finding much more joy in the present moment and also much more worthiness in simply who I am versus only what I do, okay? 
I could feel this like new version of me starting to emerge that was like a lot less hooked by all these ways like we try and prove and earn our way to enoughness. Like I felt more grounded than ever. Like I had finally understood this whole concept of being versus doing. And there was a lot of peace that came with that. And it was all this work that led me to the awareness that the foundational work for enoughness was complete. I dug in, I'd done the work, I had journaled my face off <laughs> with all these different parts of myself. And I was ready to part ways with my therapist and move into working in my business again, albeit a much different way than before, okay? I didn't feel as much pressure to keep up with other people's pace. I didn't feel as much pressure to earn as much as or more than in order to fit in. I would still have to practice due diligence to honor what was true and felt good for me, right? But that's also lifelong work. So I was seeing my therapist every two weeks or maybe even a month, once a month at this point, I can't remember. But what I do remember is it being a week before our last call and me checking my bank account when I experienced something I will never, ever forget. So to unhook from overworking and rushing is one thing, right? To reclaim your concept of time, it's one thing. To unhook from earning, something that is very real, like we need money to afford things. That's the way our society is set up. That is something entirely different. <laughs> and I actually mostly doubted if unhooking myself from money was actually even possible. But on this particular day, I remember logging into my checking account and seeing zero, zero, zero across the board. Like literally zero dollars and zero cents. Now, old me would have totally flipped out and seen this as not enough, right? <laughs> and I think most of us would. I mean, I literally had nothing in my account, nothing. But for some reason, on that particular day, my response was, huh, there's just enough. Now, in case you've never overdrawn an account, I'll let you in on a little secret. <laughs> Usually when you don't have enough money to cover your expenses in your account, your account goes into the negative, right? Like maybe it's negative $3 and 17 cents. Maybe it's negative 327. It really depends on how short you are. Okay. But never in my life have I ever had just enough to cover my expenses where the balance went to zero, zero, zero. Okay. <laughs> and it was this moment that I arrived at a new truth. There is always enough. And I realized that even in the past when my account had gone into the negative, or I had taken out loans, or I had put things on a credit card, the same truth was there in all of that too. There is always enough money. It may not all come from the same account. It may not all come from the same place. It may not all come from where we want it to come from. Read our businesses. <laughs> but it comes from somewhere. Now, as a caveat, I say this sitting from a place of privilege, from someone who has credit cards and can take out lines of credits or loans. 
And I also say this from a place of having more resources to tap into if I need to, that may not be the same for everyone, okay? But what I also know is that day of seeing zero, 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 it changed something for me. And it tapped me into something much larger than myself when it comes to money, which was an overarching message that there is always enough. Whether it's seen or unseen, known or unknown, having faith in that and resting in that is a whole other ballgame. But for whatever reason, that day in July 2015, literally having nothing in my account, zero, 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 it said, I didn't feel rich but nor did I feel poor. I just felt unhooked. And maybe playing into that was also the knowing that just because it was zero that day didn't mean it always would be. Because remember, I had realized that money is always renewable. But also that the more holy and sacred and enough I hold myself, the more wealthy outcome. Wealthy and holy, holy and wealthy. So, <laughs> that was a journey today, right? Like from 2006, standing in a cathedral in Ireland to 2015, that laid some major foundations. Like it's all here. But where I'm most excited to go next is the four core money beliefs to stress less and live more and the five foundational self-beliefs that support them. And we are ready to go there now. <laughs> I had to share these three big life experiences because they were pivot points for me. And I think we all have those pivot points, those like big, big breadcrumbs that shift us into something new. And from there, we can build upon those. And we're going to be building upon these in the next episode. So I will see you there in a week. And until then, here's to the courage to show up braver, whole heart, full self, all in. We got this. <laughs>